0: Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this
1: time with us. I'm Irving Joy, And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. The year 2020 saw the tragic deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Tragically, these deaths were not anomalies. But video footage of the murder of Aubrey at the hands of self-deputized white men in Glynn County, Georgia and the video footage of the murder of Floyd at the hands of a white police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, helped ignite the Black Lives Matter movement and renewed calls for reform of a criminal legal system steeped in racial bias. In June 2020, Governor Roy Cooper established the North Carolina Task Force for Racial Equity in Criminal Justice. Governor Cooper asked the task force to identify intentional and unintentional racial biases in the criminal legal and law enforcement systems and to highlight the unequal outcomes resulting from these biases. Governor Cooper also charged the task force with making specific and actionable recommendations to help eliminate racial bias and create fair outcomes for black people and communities of color. In its first report published in December 2020, the task force acknowledged that North Carolina has a tragic legacy of slavery, segregation, and racial violence, and that the North Carolina's criminal legal system is afflicted with long-standing and pervasive systemic racism. In its December 2020 report, the task force also presented 125 recommendations to address and eliminate the racial inequities baked into the criminal legal system. The task force members have been working diligently throughout 2021 to implement its recommendations and released its second report this past December. On tonight's show, we're gonna talk about the progress the task force has made and the work still left to be done. Joining us for this discussion are the co-chairs of the Task Force for Racial Equity and Criminal Justice, Anita Earls, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina, and Josh Stein, Attorney General of North Carolina. We thank you both for joining us. We know that you all have very busy schedules, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about the work of the Task Force.
2: Pleasure to be with you, Professor Dawson. Professor Joyner.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for spotlighting this issue. So I provided a little bit of background about the creation of the task force. Justice Earls, can you expand on why such a task force is needed to address the racial inequities in the North Carolina criminal legal system?
3: Yes, well, I think you um, identified some of the precipitating events that led the governor to issue an executive order creating the task force But I certainly want to emphasize that a lot of the reform efforts had already been underway, um, that there'd been good people across the state working on numerous issues. And so things like the raising the age of juvenile jurisdiction, um, and uh, looking at the impact of fines and fees, uh, being concerned about uh, what happens to body cam footage all of these issues are things that had already been the subject of um, study, debate, policy making, um, and so I think part of the wisdom of bringing together task force was to was to try to um, increase attention to and efforts around some issues that had already been going on. And I think the, the the only other really crucially important point that I want to make at the outset, as we're talking about what led to the creation of the task force, is that I think that that it we have to be clear that this is only one part of what needs to be done i don't think the governor and his wisdom in establishing the task force i don't think task force members would suggest that this is ever, that this while our recommendations span every aspect of the criminal justice system i don't think that this task force is is everything that needs to be done in other words there are um, other arenas where continued attention to these issues um, is going on and needs to continue to happen um, but but I think we are part of we are part of a solution um, and so the goal of the task force was very clearly to, to not only make recommendations but to to, to very quickly identify uh, what can be done and and really work to implement them
1: and Attorney General Stein, can you talk about the the structure and the nature of the task force um, and, and why this particular vehicle can be used so effectively to generate change?
2: Yes, happy to. And, and again, it is a pleasure to be with you all. And thank you for your attention to this most important issue. Um, I think that you appropriately set the context for what sparked the creation in the first place. Um, there was really, the whole country was aghast at the video of George Floyd, but everyone knows he's not the only one to have died illegitimately in the hands of law enforcement. And that issue, that moment of interaction between law enforcement and, and the people, the citizenry, uh, is what we all were focused on right at the very beginning. But to Justice Earl's last comment about The breadth of the challenges facing the criminal justice issue and the fact that the criminal justice system sits within our larger society and all of The challenges and issues we face as a nation in terms of people having good housing and, and good jobs and stable families and all of the factors that create instability and that can contribute to criminal behavior. We've got to tackle all of that. But that instant was so shocking and so jarring to the entire country, it really created an opportunity. So as just Searle said, a lot of stuff had been, been worked on by a lot of people, a lot of actors um, for many years in North Carolina. We're constantly trying to improve in the criminal justice system so that it works better, keeps us safer and treats people more fairly. But when something like that happens, um, you really have to jump at it because you don't want anything like that to happen in, in our state. And so I I called the governor and suggested an idea along these lines. And he agreed that it was urgent and created the task force. In terms of the structure, what he wanted, what I supported, was making sure that we had the full range of perspectives represented on the task force. It's so important because the criminal justice system involves so many actors. It involves, obviously, law enforcement police and sheriffs it involves prosecutors it involves judges it involves public defenders it involves people who get arrested people from the community it also involves advocates people who are out there um, really trying to press for change whether their perspective it comes from the citizenry and kind of criminal justice reform folks or Uh, Maybe they're from the disability community because of issues that disabled folks have with law enforcement. Or maybe it's from the victim's rights community, people who are suffering from crime and their perspective wants to be heard. Well, the truth is, everybody has a valuable perspective to offer, and what we wanted this task force to do was to capture all of those perspectives. Uh, And it does. It has representatives from all of those groups, including local government people, county commissioners, mayors, um, the president of the NAACP of North Carolina. Uh, So we've got the full breadth of perspectives offered, but, uh, and Justice Searles can talk more about this because she was a real driver in making sure that there was great connectivity between the task force and all of this, by the way, was going on through COVID. So we weren't really even able to meet in person But in some ways it actually helped us connect to people, regular citizens who also have a strong opinion about the criminal justice system. And we worked really hard to engage the public so that they had a lot of input into the broad uh, workings of the task force.
0: Yeah, That that, that raises a question with me. Can you kind of describe uh, to our audience the uh, fact-finding process that you were engaged in, you talk about the difficulty uh, working through this uh, pandemic and all of the uh, uh, barriers uh, associated with the with travel and connecting with people. So, can you kind of describe just the breadth of uh, of, of of your actions uh, designed to get to people and get
2: information directly from the people most affected by this? Uh, I'll take a first stab, just Zerl, and then uh, I'll hand it off to you. Um, We organized ourselves at sort of different stages of the criminal justice process. So law enforcement, uh, how do we recruit and train law enforcement? Law enforcement policies, how do they create policies to govern the use of force, for instance, or a duty to intervene when another officer goes too far? But then we don't stop there because the criminal justice continues, system continues to somebody, are they arrested or are they issued a citation? Do they have to appear in court? Or are they detained pre-trial? Are they charged? What happens when they appear before the judge? What happens at their trial? Who is composed of in the jury? Uh, what happens when it comes to sentencing? And then if they're convicted, what happens post-conviction while they're in prison? And then most people, of course, 95% of people get out of prison at some point. What happens after that? Because that's also, reentry is also part of the criminal justice system. And so we really looked at all of those different aspects and organized our work um, by those different stages in the process. And what we did is met continuously. I can't even tell you how many dozens and dozens of meetings our different working groups had and what we did, Professor Joyner, was we would engage with experts in each of those issues. We would bring in national experts, we would bring in state experts, and we would bring in involved people, people who had a really uh, detailed and in-depth perspective on an issue. Uh, and then we would discuss different policy ideas about well, what should we do? Should we have a policy that addresses this issue? Yes, we should. Well, what should be in that policy? Because there are multiple ways you can go and then we would have extensive debates along those lines. Justice Earles, anything to add on that process? I didn't even talk about the engagement of the public.
3: Well, and, and actually, so there's two other parts to the fact finding, I would say. So What one, yes, is, is engaging the public. So we had public hearings and we continue to have a public hearing portion of every full task force meeting. So, pe- so people can continue to give us input. You know, uh, new things are happening. What do we, you know? <laughs> Uh, we are al- along the stage of, of some things we've implemented partially. So there's a lot of reasons why we need to continue to have public input through public comment at our full task force meetings. But then we also did a series of regional, I think you, maybe you could call them listening sessions, but these were efforts to 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 make sure we understood that what's happening you know, in Eastern North Carolina may not be the same as what's happening in Charlotte, which may not be the same that's happening um, in Western North Carolina, there's rural ur- urban differences as well as just regional differences. And so we convene local stakeholders as well as just local um, people who are interested in different regions of the state. So this this was inviting people to come and address us and talk about what's happening in their locality. Um, so that was an important part of the day together. But then the other thing, um, which which I really think the Attorney General deserves huge credit for, um, is the staff that he's devoted to this project. They have done tremendous work in um, research, researching what what um, is the best thinking around the country on these issues and what is happening in New Jersey or what is the new project that's been tried out in Denver. I mean, like they really um, uh, had incredible resources, which other efforts like this have not had, quite frankly. And by that, I mean, um, often you see commissions and task force created, but they have no, no, re- no staff, no resources, no ability to, to really um, delve into the issues the way our task force has been able to because of the dedicated staff who you know full time are working on this and and so that all, and all of that material. Here's the other, I'm, I have to brag on us a little bit more to say we have really done it. Um, so unlike some of the other task force groups, being public in our resources. So you can go to the TREK website and not only will you find all of our meetings, so you can go and listen to them, if, um, but also um, much of the material that's been submitted to us from the public is, is posted there. Um, every time we had a, a substantive meeting where we were doing data gathering or, or discussing an issue, the PowerPoints that were presented to us, the law review articles that were submitted to us, all of that is on our website. So the public has access to it. And, and so I think that was, those elements were also a really important part of the data gathering.
2: If I can just say one thing to build on what just Searle just said, and just brag on my team, um, Jasmine McGee, who is a Durham Durhamite led the effort from the Department of Justice, but we really had many, many people um, take, some of them gave all of their time, we allocated all of their professional time to it, but other people who were special prosecutors gave a fraction of their time to work with different uh, working groups. And um, I'm really proud of, of their dedication. We, to Justice Earl's point, if it, if it weren't for the staff, we would not have been able to have achieved everything that we've achieved.
1: You're listening to The Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM and we've been talking this hour about the Governor's Task Force for Racial Equity in Criminal Justice. We have with us here in our Zoom studio the co-chairs of this task force Anita Earls Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina and Attorney General for North Carolina Josh Stein. We hope you stay with us we'll be right back.
4: Hello, this is Brittany Burks and I am a 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. This week on the Legal Eagle Review, our guests are North Carolina Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls and North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein. They are co-chairs of the North Carolina Task Force for Racial Equity in Criminal Justice. This task force was established June 2020 pursuant to Executive Order No. 145 by Governor Roy Cooper. The task force is comprised of a diverse cross-section of leaders from across the state, including advocates, elected officials, judges, prosecutors, public defenders, and law enforcement. The mission of the task force is to develop and help implement solutions that will eliminate disparate outcomes in the criminal justice system for communities of color, recommend solutions to stop discriminatory criminal justice practices, and hold public safety officers accountable. The task force released a report in December 2020 that made several recommendations to improve our criminal justice system, from recruiting, training, and holding officials accountable to addressing the disparities of our court and correctional systems. For the Legal Eagle Review, this is Brittany Burks. Thank you for listening.
1: And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with Associate Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Anita Earls, and Attorney General of North Carolina, Josh Stein, about the Task Force for Racial Equity in Criminal Justice. So right before the break, you both were talking about the folks who have been working incredibly hard on the task force. Um, you've got the staff, and then there are also task force members. Can you talk a little bit about who comprises the task force and and the roles that they play?
2: Sure, happy to do that. We 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 have an incredibly hardworking task force. Uh, this is it was very clear when the governor created this. He wasn't looking for a blue ribbon commission to write a long report that staff wrote and call it a day. He wanted very actively engaged people who were instrumental in shaping the ideas and directions of our recommendations, but then also equally committed to trying to get as many of them implemented by the criminal justice system as possible. And so, for instance, we have Angelica Wind. She uh, comes from a background of advocating for victims of crime. We've got a couple of county commissioners, Mike Hawkins from the West and Ronnie Smith from the East. Uh, Mayor Mitch Colvin out of Fayetteville. Deborah Dix Maxwell, who is the statewide president of the North Carolina NAACP, but also uh, had been a representative from New Hanover County's NAACP. Uh, Tally Wells represents the disability rights folks, North Carolina Council uh, uh, on Disability, um, Developmental Disabilities. We have legislators because it's really important for them to have input about what they think they can achieve in terms of getting things enacted. Uh, Senator Mustaba Mohammed from Charlotte, uh, Representative Marsha Morey from Durham, Representative James Galliard from Rocky Mount. Uh, we have some legislative uh, advocacy groups like the Conser- Conservatives for Criminal Justice Reform. Tara Callahan uh, is a member. And then uh, a number of other people in in the criminal justice system, District Attorney Jim Woodall, Orange County, uh, Alan Thornburg, a Superior Court judge out West, Mary Pollard, who works at the indigent, uh, she's executive director of the Office of Indigent Defense Services, Public Defenders. Um, We have a District Court judge from Robinson County, Brooke Locklear, Judge Locklear. Henderson Hill comes from the representational side of people, of criminal defendants, uh, a senior counsel at the ACLU. Colonel Pittman is a very effective advocate for criminal justice reform to make sure that the criminal justice system treats everyone fairly and effectively. Um, We have a Sergeant from Raleigh PD who does a lot of training work, Billy Garden, uh, Chief of Fayetteville Police, Gina Hawkins, uh, Sheriff Burkhead, Clarence Burkhead from Durham, uh, and then Secretary Eddie Buffalo um, formerly of, Uh, Elizabeth City chief of police, he's now the the secretary. So as you can see, it's very diverse and all perspectives or many, most perspectives are are represented. So
3: so let me just add that, um, so it's a 25 member task force. um, And so given the, when you think of actually all the different systems that the criminal justice system encompasses and we're talking about policing, we're talking about court systems, we're talking about correctional systems, Talking about post-release systems, so when you when you talk about the breadth of it, um, inevitably, you know, I think there are some communities that, if are only if you were only trying to assemble a group that represented every um, demographic in North Carolina, you know, we don't have um, as much representation. You know, it's like some people are wearing double hats, but uh, the Latinx community, the Native American community in North Carolina, and and what I would say in response to a concern that it, we have not as diverse as we need to be is that um, there is there is plenty of opportunity to be engaged with the task force beyond being a member. So you asked earlier about structure. Initially, we were organized around four sort of um, areas based on stages of the, of the how someone progresses through the criminal justice process. But now that we are in the implementation stage, we are organized around, um, Sort of who who the decision makers are so we have a, a, a judicial committee legislative committee um the executive committee and we have some uh and then local policy local government committee and then we have two cross-cutting committees so a committee that's focused on um, data because data collection and documenting what's happening is a huge part of of addressing the issue and then this, then a communications sub- subcommittee and with all of those groups, um, if, if there's an interested and engaged person who, you know, wants to be work, work, involved with that committee, whether it's attending the meetings, all of the meetings are open, um, but, the, but we have non-task force members who regularly attend those meetings, participate, give us input. So, th- so there's definitely um, an avenue to be engaged um, be in, in addition to the, the 25. Folks who are actually
2: task force members. We also benefit from Professor Dawson. <laughs> the, uh, the
0: the the recommendations from the uh, task force, uh, and I'm assuming that they were unanimous since I didn't see a uh, dissenting uh, opinion uh, with with the uh, with with the report. How forceful! has that been in conveying the import and impact of your deliberations to the
2: legislative community? Uh, You actually hit on a really good nuance, Professor Joyner. Um, You're correct. There was no dissenting uh, opinion articulated as to the overall recommendations. That is not to say that every member of the task force agreed with every recommendation, in fact, Uh, demonstrably we know that's not the case. There were um, recommendations made where uh, a majority or even a large majority supported it, but there were people who may have had concerns about that specific recommendation. But what was excellent about our task force was um, what we all agreed was we weren't, by, by giving our endorsement of the overall 125 recommendation package, We weren't saying every person buys off on every single recommendation to its fullest extent, but we all agreed that this was a good faith, consensus driven process to come up with meaningful changes that would strengthen the criminal justice process in North Carolina. Um, And I think the fact that we did that has really made the document have more force, that people look to it and realize, look, this is a document that really asks us to look at hard at how we organize criminal justice in North Carolina. And yes, it had perspectives of advocates, but also perspectives of policymakers and have perspective of law enforcement. And that I think gives it a lot more credibility and standing um, not only at the legislature, but with individual chiefs of police who may have the authority to implement a number of our recommendations. Some of our recommendations to Justice Earl's point of how we're organized now that we're focused on implementation, some of them require change in law. Like we had a recommendation about decriminalizing marijuana because of the racially disparate treatment of marijuana arrests in North Carolina. Black people and white people smoke marijuana at very similar rates according to surveys but if you look at who's arrested and who is convicted it is disproportionately black north carolinians and that is a major driver of inequities in the criminal justice system as well as a huge drag on the pro- on the whole system so we made a recommendation that marijuana should be decriminalized and that requires an act of the legislature so we pushed legislation to do that it hasn't moved unfortunately so we will keep pushing it But we also had recommendations to local prosecutors and local chiefs of police that says even when marijuana, simple marijuana possession is a crime in North Carolina because the legislature hasn't changed the law yet, you have limited resources. Therefore, you have discretion about how to deploy those resources. What crimes are you going to be focused on? Are you going to be focused on trying to uh, address the uptick in shootings that are resulting in too many deaths uh, and maimings in our communities, or are you gonna be focused on arresting people for simple possession of marijuana? And so we've urged local police chiefs and local DAs to deprioritize marijuana crimes. And a number of them are doing that. So it all depends on what the act is that we're seeking to change and who makes the decision on whether to
1: implement it. And Justice Earls, can you talk about some of the highlights in terms of implementation efforts during this 2021 past year that, as we mentioned before, 125 recommendations between the creation of the task force, uh, which was in June, 2020 and December, 2020. And then this past year, the task force has been implementing. So what can you share as far as um, what the task force has been able to accomplish? Well,
3: Fortunately, we have a written report on that uh,
1: at
3: at the end of 2021, which is available on our website. And I have mentioned it before. So let me just say what it is. It is um, ncdoj.gov backslash TREC. And and so that report details progress that's been made. um, And I I hope the Attorney General will address some of the legislative uh, gains in terms of Beyond what the legislature has done, um, let me highlight just a couple of things. I I am very encouraged by the creation of a commission to review um, juvenile, people who were sentenced um, for crimes they committed as juveniles. Um, The the governor appointed a three person commission to review some of those um, longer term sentences. And that process is now underway. When we looked at some of the racial disparities in the system that the, some of the most egregious disparities occurred when you look at who is sentenced to juvenile life without parole. Um, and I think my recollection is 91% were, people, were juveniles of color. Um, so, uh, so that's just a, a really important area. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see that process now underway. And I, I count that as a huge victory. Uh, the, the our court, the Supreme Court, issued a new rule at the end of last year to require, or not require. It's um, it, it it is a general rule of practice that um, authorizes something that judges already had the authority to do, but it really wasn't in the rules. So this kind of makes it official um, that they assess, upon a defendant's request, they assess their ability to pay before they impose fines and fees that the judge has discretion to waive based on inability to pay. Um, there continues to be a huge problem with people who've already been assessed those fines can't pay them um, and you know, for years either can't drive or have other negative consequences from not being able to pay their, their criminal justice system debt. But this is an attempt to stop it before it gets in place by a judge determining um, someone's ability to pay before assessing fines and um, so I, and and so we anticipate now in the new year that there'll be more um, education of judges of district attorneys, public defenders there's a new we hope in place very soon a new um, administrative office of the court's form to be used um, so that's that's a an incremental step but one that we hope will make a difference and and I think that um in addition at at the at the local level there's been um, a lot of attention to the kinds of programs that can get underway um, to divert people from the criminal justice system in the first place, um, and some real promising work there. But that—that I would say it's important to recognize that one year is not going to address all of these issues or put in place all that needs to be put in place. And so one of our biggest recommendations is that the work of the task force continue um, more permanently beyond the executive order um, initially goes to the end of, 20, of this year, 2022. So um, we early on recommended that there be some kind of structure to continue this work beyond that date.
2: In addition to the reforms happening at the executive branch level under the governor or at the courts, Uh, and many things that are happening in various police departments and sheriff's offices across North Carolina at the local level that Justice Earls just underscored, there were some really important developments at the General Assembly this past year. And I'll say that criminal justice reform issues in North Carolina encouragingly have been less partisan than many other issues. I mean, we have a lot of partisan dysfunction going on in our pol- politics today across this country. Um, and unfortunately in Washington DC, they, they were very close to a, a criminal justice reform, federal law, um, but at the last minute, it, the negotiations broke down and they couldn't get it across the finish line. That wasn't the case here in North Carolina. This is an area where Republicans and Democrats have been willing to, to work together. And you know I wanna acknowledge The members of our task force who I already talked about, Senator Muhammad and Representatives Moreh and Galliard, they worked with Senator Britt, a Republican from Robinson County. There was a bill called SB 300, and it was very comprehensive. It addressed issues about recruitment to making sure that we have a a diverse law enforcement workforce that reflects the communities they come from and and are public spirited, that they're well-trained in how to do their jobs so that they have healthy, positive relationships and interactions with the public because public trust is absolutely foundational to successful public safety. There are early intervention mechanisms required of every law enforcement agency in North Carolina so that when an officer goes off the tracks, they immediately get put back on. And if the officer can't stay on the tracks, They don't need to be an officer. There are other jobs they can have that don't include a badge or a gun. And it's really important when an officer has trouble in one agency that they don't wander to the next county or two counties over and get a job again with another agency. And there are protections in place under this law to to prevent that from happening. There are other um, aspects of the bill that address the idea of criminalizing poverty, local laws that criminalizing poverty, stripping those uh, from legal effect, requiring that anyone who's detained, whether you're a misdemeanor or uh, arrested felon for felony, you will get an appearance in front of a judge within 72 hours because for misdemeanors, uh, that was not a requirement. People were being held for days before they ever got to appear before a judge, even before they were ever convicted. Um, there were other laws like the, the Dignity for Women Who Are Incarcerated Act that says that women who are incarcerated and pregnant cannot be shackled during their pregnancy and delivery. Uh, it's shocking that that was a practice, but it did happen. Uh, and now that no longer can happen in North Carolina. And uh, earlier legislature had raised the age of um, adulthood. Um, so that teenagers, uh, 16- and 17-year-olds, would not be considered uh, adults for trial purposes. Uh, And so that was changed so that you have to be 18, except for very few, very serious felonies. Well, North Carolina, of all the states in the country, had the lowest age of juvenile jurisdiction in the nation of six, meaning that a six-year-old could be arrested and put into the juvenile justice system. And Truly, this happened, a six-year-old at a bus stop, I think it was Granville County, picked a flower in someone's yard and was arrested and brought before a magistrate. I mean, just outrageous. So the legislature raised the minimum age from six to 10, except for, uh, again, very few serious crimes, it's as low as eight. Um, It's not what we had recommended, we had recommended 12. But it's an improvement. I mean, it's better than six. And so you have to recognize improvements when you see it. Um, so they didn't do everything we asked them to do, but a lot got done. And as Justice Earl said, you're never done. Improvement, improving the system is never a job that is finished. It is a job that's continually underway. And you continually want to make advance uh, advances. And I feel like this year we've made a lot of advances on a lot of fronts.
0: This is the uh, Legal Legal Review. And uh, tonight we're talking with uh, uh, Supreme Court, uh, Associate Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls and the Honorable Josh Stein, the Attorney General of uh, North Carolina about the uh, North Carolina Task Force on Racial Equity and Criminal Justice. Uh, It's uh, report, it's implication, it's impact uh, thus far. We are going to take our break Right now, I want you to stay with us as we continue uh, this uh, discussion. So we'll be right back.
1: Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your community's event spotlight. The North Carolina Museum of History and the North Carolina African-American Heritage Commission invite you to join them virtually for the 21st annual African-American Culture Celebration on January 29, 2022, from 1030 a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. for Black People, Green Planet, Environmental Justice. All presentations and performances are free to attend online with no additional programs or apps opening ceremonies will be live streaming at the website on Saturday, January 29th at 1030 a.m. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this was your Legal Eagle Review event spotlight. Okay, we're back on the uh,
0: Legal Eagle well, we're talking with uh, Associate Justice Anita Earls from North Carolina uh, Supreme Court and uh, the Honorable Josh Stein, who is the Attorney General for the uh, state of North Carolina. And uh, so we welcome you back. Thank you for staying with us as we talk about uh, the uh, report of the work of the uh, North Carolina Task Force for Racial Equity and uh, in Criminal Justice. Uh, both of you have talked about the success of, uh, of your work and it has resulted in some, uh, what I would call progressive legislation uh, that's been enacted at the, uh, as the uh, General Assembly. Uh, one of the things though, that I thought was uh, was missing uh, from uh, the, uh, the conclusion or the recommendation Uh, is uh, increasing in funds for uh, uh, representation for attorneys for indigent uh, defendants uh, in cases. I know that there was a recommendation about providing uh, counsel for people who are charged with offenses that uh, would expose them to a fine of more than uh, $200. Uh, But one of the problems in this area is the absence of uh, of attorneys who can represent uh, these uh, individuals. Can you kind of talk about uh, why uh, there was not a push uh, to uh, obtain more funds for
2: the uh, uh, indigent indigent defense services? Well, we certainly would support adequately funding indigent defense uh, just as We support appropriately funding community violence interruption programs that can break the cycle of violence, Uh, just as we support the funding of drug courts so that people who get caught up in the criminal justice system because of their addiction can be handed off essentially to the healthcare system where their addiction can be treated and therefore their criminal behavior effectively addressed without having to go to prison at a cost of 30-some thousand dollars a year to the taxpayer. Um, so there are many aspects of, many solutions to problems with the criminal justice system that require funding. And we urge the legislature to effectively address all of those things. Uh, it's hard to get them to, um uh, spend money, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, one initiative that we did on recruitment, because recruiting public-spirited people uh, into the profession is so important, you gotta have the right people, the people who go into the job because they wanna care for other people and protect other people, as opposed to those people who are in it because they wanna break through a door at every opportunity. You know, they talk about the guardian versus the warrior. and. And A program that my office came up with a couple of years ago was called the Criminal Justice Fellows Program, which is modeled on the North Carolina Teaching Fellows Program, which people have some familiarity with. But basically what it tells a high school graduate is, if you wanna go into a career in law enforcement, here's a two-year loan for your degree, your community college degree to get that um, basic training that you need. And if you work in law enforcement for four years in any capacity, whether it's a 911 operator at a correctional facility, as a sheriff's deputy or a police officer, over those four years, your loan will be forgiven. So the state will pay for your education to make it more attractive for people to get into the job. Well, they authorized it two or three years ago, the legislature did the program, but they didn't fund it. So we didn't have any money actually to do it. And we were carrying it uh, out of my office. But this year they have fully funded that program for the first time. So there are some recommendations that we made and that was one of the recommendations from the task force, which did get funded. But there, are honestly, to your point, Professor Joyner, there's a lot of recommendations we made that require state funding that didn't. And so we remain with work to do.
0: I know that there has been additional work done since the 2020. Uh, report that's summarized in a 2021 uh, report. So could you kind of talk about the uh, implementation uh, and what the uh, 2021 report uh, basically provides for us and uh, as a follow-through or follow-up on the uh, excellent work that you've done uh, from the outset.
2: Yeah, I think I really commend it to people and Justice Earls directed folks to the right place. If you just go to ncdoj.gov, that's North Carolina Department of Justice, ncdoj.gov slash TREC, TREC is our short name for the Task Force for Racial Equity and Criminal Justice. So go to that page, landing page and you'll see a, a link for reports and then go to the interim report. And what it does, Professor Joyner, is essentially lay out a narrative form and chart form All of the things that Justice Earls and I just talked about, the the laws that the General Assembly passed and which recommendations we made, did each provision of the legislation touch on. It talked about the executive order that uh, Justice Earls highlighted. It talks about um, initiatives that our office has taken to reach out to local governments to let them know about funding opportunities that they can pursue through the American Recovery Act to further track recommendations at the local level. And then it also highlights a number of uh, initiatives that are going on at local law enforcement agencies across North Carolina. So um, one thing that's encouraging is there's a lot of movement happening across the state trying to make things better. Um, It's not always observable to the regular person on the street because you don't really have insight into it. But, you know, the Criminal Justice Training Standards Commission is engaged in extensive work. They're the ones who certify law enforcement officers and decertify problematic law enforcement officers. They're doing a ton of work to strengthen the training requirements and the certification process to make sure that the right officers are the ones with the badge and the gun. So a lot of good work happening. And I recommend folks to to bruise this interim report.
3: So, just, so I would just add that um we are about to have a um, full task force meeting that will be a strategic planning process for the next year going forward. so we are we are definitely being very rigorous about um, what what we are going to focus on. I mean the, the the danger with so many with such a huge system that we're addressing and so many recommendations is that we just get scattered and 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 I think, um, we, we are uh, working with staff and working with um, consultants to help us have a strategic plan that's doable for the next year. But but the, the second point I wanna make, and I think the most important one, is that we continue to need to hear from the public um, and we need to continue to have public engagement, um, in part because that's the only way we're gonna end up with policies. I mean, I guess I firmly believe in the democratic principle that that you um, cannot uh, come up with the right um, public policies if you don't hear all voices and and particularly of people who are directly affected. Um, that 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 we need to make sure that, that we are hearing from them um, about about their experiences and and what could make a difference. And 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 then I just think. Um, the the demonstrations that followed uh, the incidents that you started the top of the show with um, made a difference. And and that was people uh, coming out of their homes during a pandemic to say, this issue really matters to us and we want something done. And uh, unfortunately, I suppose, I, I guess I think change won't happen unless that demand for change continues. Um, so I'm not calling for demonstrations. What I am calling for, is continued public engagement. And so, you know, your listeners are people probably, um, you know, in law school learning about these laws. Um, I really er- have seen more than ever before the, the, the importance of having the best and brightest of our legal minds uh, working in some capacity around criminal justice system issues. Uh, I, I've seen the brilliance of public defenders who know their clients' lives, They know where the pressure points are. They know uh, holistically, you know, it's not just that one charge they got, but uh, one of the biggest insights I gained through this work was the fact that we think of victim, we think of offenders and victims as two separate universes. And in fact, there is huge, huge overlap. Um, And so it's the folks who are working with those people directly who who, um, understand this and understand how to address it. um, I would just make a plea that, that people, however they can and wh- wherever they're, they're um, situated, uh, to continue to try to uh, um, address these issues. And the task force is one way. There are other organizations and other um, efforts underway, but but we really do need everyone's input.
1: And Justice Searles, what are your thoughts on the level of community engagement, particularly this past year. So uh, both you and Attorney General Stein mentioned uh, community members who were on the task force, but can you share your thoughts on the level of community engagement separate and apart from those who are actually um, working with, who are task force members rather?
3: Well, I really appreciate, there are some, there are some committed folks who have been to and been on the Zooms for many of our meetings. And um, I really do, appreciate and hear all the comments we get I, I can think of some some folks who um, submitted written comments that were very powerful about a particular issue that made it into a recommendation so I feel like I can really point to how the community involvement has impacted the, the work but but it but I, I think the um, in some ways the uh, attention has been diverted uh, to other issues right now and and that um, the we we do need to have um, effective ways to hear from um, a broad range of community
1: voices. So we are in the final year, currently the final year of the establishment of the task force. Um Justice Earls, you mentioned that there is a planning session in order to develop a strategic plan. Can you both share your thoughts on what you hope to accomplish this year? And and of course, one of the recommendations that we hope is adopted is that the work of this uh, task force will continue beyond 2022.
2: Uh, Absolutely. A system as complex as our criminal justice system, like anything, you never stop working on it. You have to make it better because there are always gonna be new Uh, issues that arise. At the same time, we are dealing with sort of the legacy problems of racism in North Carolina. So we're not gonna be done in 2021. We we weren't done in 2021. We're not gonna be done in 2022. So what we're meeting next week to determine is what are our priorities to try to get achieved this year. We got a lot done in 2021 based on our 2020 recommendations but what can we uh, reasonably and ambitiously try to get done in 2022? Uh, And then what do we do to kind of create a permanent structure so that there is a group with a broad array of perspectives that convenes to continue to engage on these issues? Because you need to have continual pushing, uh, cogitating, digesting of ideas, debates in order to elevate reforms or changes that can make a meaningful difference. And so figuring out some way to make permanent the infrastructure that is the task force for racial equity uh, for criminal justice in uh, criminal justice permanent is going to be a priority for the our work going forward.
3: To some degree, I feel like I'm, I don't want to answer the question until we have the, you know the whole task force identifying priorities, but I, but I will say based on our work so far, that um, in the next year, I think we're going to see the benefits of some of the work we've done around data collection. By that I mean, I think we're going to have a better handle on um, some of the key metrics of what are the racial disparities in, uh, throughout our system, and and that you know we need a baseline so that uh, a year from now we can either say things are getting better or you know what why isn't what we're doing working and and I. So for example, we heard from folks in New Jersey who talked about bail reform. And, and they were able, using their data to show that once they instituted bail reform, far fewer people were kept in jail um, prior to um, their trials. But it didn't change the racial dynamics. There was still a dis- racial disproportionality in who ended up serving or being um, held in jail pending um, disposition of their charges. So, So we have to be careful, I think, to make sure that we're doing good data collection from the beginning throughout, um, so that we, we, we really know that we're making a difference. Um, and then I would also point to two other key areas. So one thing we do know from the data is how people enter the system. And as Attorney General Stein said, marijuana arrests are a huge contributor. So our efforts, whether it's to, um, to a- a address the criminalization of marijuana possession, or some of the other ways we're trying to decriminalize minor misdemeanors that end up with people in the criminal justice system when they really, um, uh, it doesn't benefit us as a society for them to be there. I think those are really important. So keeping people out of the system, really important. Um, And then I I think the other thing I would point to is the question of um, accountability for law enforcement. And and I think that we have made that that our law enforcement agencies across the state have made some steps um, progressing in that regard. Uh, But I I just think that continues to be a key issue for the public. And whether it's a matter of of communication um, or or sort of how that plays out, I just think law enforcement accountability continues to be a a really important aspect of, of what we need to address.
1: All right, we just have a few minutes left. Um, so both of you have talked about the importance of community involvement, and you've given some great suggestions. So uh, making sure that folks check out the website, you've mentioned the public nature of the task force meetings. Um, Justice Charles, you mentioned the, the ability to submit written uh, comments. Can you just expand upon that a little bit and also share with our audience other ways that they might be able to get involved with the task force.
3: Well, we, the website is a place where you can submit your submit written comments. Um, but I, I, also think um, we. So, in addition to our meetings, we have been having some um, what we call learning sessions. So, some additional um, efforts to bring in folks to talk to us to address a particular issue. Um, and so, I, uh, I, I, I know that we we've, we've had um I think three of those and and so I, I guess what I would say is if if there's a particular issue that people are concerned about that um, we either haven't addressed in our recommendations or um, you know haven't looked at more in depth, suggesting to us a topic that should be part of a, one of our learning sessions would be another way to sort of direct our attention and efforts um, in in avenues that will make the most difference but but then I also think there will be, um, a continuing legislative agenda, and working with some of the groups that are um, engaged in that is another way to be involved. So, not not necessarily directly with the task force, but you know, you've heard of the you've heard the names of some of the organ, public organizations that are represented on the task force. Those organizations, whether it's the the, um, the ACLU, the NAACP, the um, Conservatives for Criminal Justice Reform, all of those groups. Are um, you know open to folks of getting involved and you know coming to their events and 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 working with them.
2: The only thing I would add to that is um, a lot of the decisions about what, how a local law enforcement agency should interact with the public. Do they do more community policing? Are they in their cars? Are they engaged in? what we call regulatory traffic stops for, you know, a broken taillight or a blinker that's not working which just creates more potentially unnecessary interactions that could go south or are they engaged in public safety traffic stops where somebody's creating a, a danger on the roads these are all decisions that each community makes for itself about what is that relationship like between local law enforcement and its people And so just engaging with your city council members, with your mayor, with your chief of police, who many of them have sessions where they go out in the public and meet with people. Um, There are so many different ways where you can interact. Meet with your legislator, your state representative or your state senator. You know, they're they're always happy to talk to you, certainly hear from you by email or by phone. Let them know what you think. Let them know that uh, it's wrong that we are arresting black North Carolinians at two times the rate of white North Carolinians for marijuana possession. Like That's just demonstrably wrong. And they can take action to address that. So just let your voice be heard by people who make decisions and you'll be surprised because you can have an impact and it's very important and it's also rewarding.
1: All right, well, this was a a great discussion and we want to thank our guests, North Carolina, Supreme Court Justice Anita Earls, North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, and they are the co-chairs of the North Carolina Task Force for Racial Equity in Criminal Justice. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you've learned something about the work that's being done with this very important task force and that you will share this information with your family and friends and in your community and indeed get involved. If you have any questions or comments, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us at the Legal Eagle review at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.